This is Got Marketing, a podcast with ideas, strategies, and tactics to help small businesses create smarter marketing. I'm Mia Feilman, a professional marketer and the founder of Campaign Del Mar. And in this show, I chat with creatives and strategists about the different aspects of marketing, but without the fluff. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Got Marketing podcast. Today on the show, my guest is Lauren Pickering, a professional marketer with 15 years experience across consumer brands, education, and professional services. Lauren has been the group brand manager of Maybelline New York, the senior marketing manager for Barbie, and is now the executive director of marketing for Lauriston Girls School. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for having me, Mia. So, so glad that you're here. It has been an absolute pleasure working with you, not once, but twice Mm. over our careers. And even to this day, you are a guest strategist in my signature program, Campaign Classroom. So I think it goes without saying that I can't get enough of you. (laughs) Likewise, I love joining every Campaign Classroom you run and and meeting the the new crew and, you know, sharing a little bit of my experience with your team and learning from them as well. And what experience you have. You've had an incredible career. So I'd love to know from you what have been some of the highlights. Oh, highlights of my career. Um, I, I guess, you know, you touched on it before that my career was really blessed to to start and have a good 10 to 12 years in some incredible brands, Maybelline New York, Garnier at Mattel with the brand, a brand like Barbie. Um, and I think during that phase of my career, seeing Maybelline New York um, transition from a really pop sugar, teeny tween brand to overtake Revlon and Rimmel to be number one in Australia and really, you know, by the by signing Ruby Rose as brand ambassador and from changing our product mix, we became the number one brand in Australia with a really great edgy look, feel and a much more elevated and older demographic. Um, that's probably a really key highlight for me in the big brands. Um I then made the switch to education, which is a smaller, I guess, smaller industry, smaller world, but gee, it's much more involved for, for the community that you're working with. Um, and, you know, working with community, working with people, working with purpose gives, you know, it fills my bucket every day. So that's a highlight as well. I remember when we were working together, you said to me, and this was like 15 years ago, you said to me, yeah, I think one day I might be a teacher. And I said, but Lauren, you are the most talented marketer I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Like, you know, I'm sure the education space would love to have you as a teacher, but you're so good at marketing. And I think that you found your calling, which was to work in marketing, but for the education sector. So awesome. Yeah. Okay, so today I really want to talk about strategy versus tactics in this episode because this is really foundational knowledge that every small business owner should probably start with. And um, I work with almost exclusively with small businesses. And to be honest, what I see a lot is that the small business owners are putting the tactics ahead of the strategy. So let's go back because marketers just love their jargon. And let's first define what is strategy, what is tactics, and and we'll go from there. 
Yeah, sure. And when you say strategy, it's funny, marketers do love their jargon, but the jargon is somewhat overused and somewhat different um, depending on who you speak to. So I don't know if there's a clear-cut definition of strategy. Um, one, one that I know of is a guy called Mark Pollard and he says that strategy is an informed opinion about how to win. Um, and, look, I think that that's a really good definition for its simplicity um, and I guess there's three main parts to that. One, the informed opinion. Um, I love, I'm, I'm, I'm a stats and creative person, you know, and I truly think that marketing is a balance of data and intuition, science and art. So I love that informed opinion puts those two together. Um, and for me, the best and most important step of any strategy is um, understanding your market, your customer and your offering. And that research phase of pulling together a strategy is often overlooked. Um, and I know, Mia, you've said time and time again that it takes you 20 plus hours to create a marketing campaign. And I would argue that that's after you are informed and have done your research. Um, and even then, gee, you're doing well. Um, you know, when we worked together at L'Oreal, we used to spend months once twice, sometimes even three times a year, pulling together um, strategies and go-to-market plans. And these would be 100-plus slides in PowerPoint. Um, and most of them would be the research phase. Um, and, look, I think for small business, I wouldn't expect the same level of scrutiny or intensity in your research. Um, but having written strategies for a number of small to medium businesses, it was always the research and understanding phase of a strategy that I would spend the majority of my time on um, because that is where you get your insights and you get those aha moments and how you start to unlock originality. Um, but, yeah, I guess it also the informed opinion piece is important because Opinion is a, a is an important word. A strategy, this this phrase clearly highlights that a strategy is an opinion. It's a forecast. Um, and while a good strategy gives you a good chance of achieving your objective, it's still not guaranteed. Love that. That is so true. That's exactly what I thought when I read that definition. And you touched on a really interesting point, which is that small business owners tend to skip the research phase or to do it very lightly. And I think that comes from them thinking that research is expensive. And the truth is, is that it's never been easier for small business owners to tap into really valuable, really insightful research, even on a shoestring budget. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, you've got databases at your disposal you've got social media trends that you can tap into straight away there's google analytics tools for free um i think that the most expensive part of research is time um and another free one is observing i remember working in mattel and i would you know we tasked ourselves um to get out into shops into target and big w and, and those shopping centers once a month and really understand where people were purchasing um, and and some of their behaviours when doing it. It sounds a little creepy to observe people, but, um, you know, you do it subtly and you get really informed about what is happening at that ground zero level. Um, that's free. That just takes time. Correct. And we did that at um, 
Maybelline as well, we would go to festivals that we were sponsoring for Maybelline and we would walk around and we would observe our target audience in their natural habitat and see how they dressed, how they applied makeup, how they talked to their friends, what language they used so that we could glean all of those insights and work it into our marketing plans. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so um, the strategy is the plan. It's you know, what we want to do. So then what are tactics? Yeah, well, I mean, the other part of that Mark Pollard definition that's really interesting is the how to win and and how is important because without implementation or without some tactics following on from that, it's just a document that collects dust. Um, You know, hopefully your strategy can unlock a vision that sets you up with some sort of sustainable competitive advantage there's some more jargon for you um (laughs) but that's where the short and long-term tactics and implementation plan come to light um i know that in mark's definition he says to win and, and for me that's a little bit dollars focused and i think that there's more purpose um that should be associated when when people are writing a strategy to try and unlock Um, objectives beyond the dollars and and that also helps to give you insight as to where your short and long-term tactics should go. Absolutely. So tactics are how you will execute the plan. So how you will take that strategy and make it happen, right? Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, a good strategy for me, if I reflect on some of the best strategies that I've been involved in putting together, um, the short-term tactics, the short-term implementation have been very clear when you put together a, a strategy. But the best strategies I've been involved in have been loose enough to give you a vision for the long term, but not necessarily all the answers right away. Um, and I touched on Maybelline before, you know, in any annual strategy we would do, Mia, we would look at the next year's products, the advertising budget, the messaging, the the um, merchandising involved but I guess something that really changed the game for Maybelline was how that brand was moving the dial from being something that's very you know Sarah uh, who was Buffy uh, whoever that girl was um, her she was the face of Maybelline like dressed in pink selling lip gloss to being really about edgy eye makeup, eyeshadow, eyeliners, um, something that's fashion forward. And that's a long-term game that required years and years of tactics building up. I have to Google her name. Sarah Michelle Geller. Yes. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, so do you do you think that there's still a place then, especially in the small business environment, for that 20-page marketing strategy? Oh, for small business, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm going to say yes, but I'm also going to say no too. Um, <laughs> I think the, <laughs> the catch-all answer and the reason I say both, okay, so the yes part of it is that, yes, you need to spend that time tapping into as many research and insights as you can. Um, but what you want to do is continue to condense and finesse and importantly prioritize until you get something that's really clear to work with. Um, today, you know, if I'm looking at my strategy right now at Lauriston Girls School, my three key go-to documents include one, an overarching roadmap, which is 
quite brand focused. It looks at objectives. It looks at messaging. It looks at our point of difference. It touches on the vision. Um, two, my budget, which is very tactical and implementation based. And three, my calendar, which is, again, very tactical and implementation based. The roadmap is kind of a condensed version of the 20 page, 100 page, whatever it is page strategy. Yeah, I completely agree. And very diplomatic answer. <laughs> so let's illustrate this with an example, because, you know, um, some of the people listening might be like, okay, they've, they've veered off into marketing jargon language. So something I saw recently, which I loved, and um, I know you did too, was that Arnott's Tim Tams have launched a golden ticket promotion with Tim Robards, who is the first bachelor. And this particular competition is a tactic, right, um, as is deciding to bring on Tim as an ambassador for Arnott's Tim Tams. However, this ta- these tactics would have derived from a wider strategy around why Tim is a good fit for this particular brand. Yeah, definitely. And and why a competition is a good tactic for them. You know, tactics can be anything, event-based, competition-based, um, discount-based, anything, anything you want. Um, and I think what, what you and I know um, is that if you're a brand who sells goods at Coles and Woolies, um, a clear-cut way of increasing your sales is to secure secondary spots and secondary locations. We're talking the, you know, when you walk into the stores, what's at the front of the stores? Um, And the unfortunate thing for brands right now is that retailers are making this harder. It's it's not that you can just put a discount, a 20% discount and get that position. You've really got to bring something that's a way to excite the the customers Um, and I guess the competition is a tactic that's used to meet the strategy of securing more space in store. Um, When it comes to Tim and deciding to do the ambassadorship, 100% they're probably looking for a way to um, make that affinity stronger with the primary purchaser who would be women who are 29 to 49 which represent the 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 majority of um, grocery buyers in Australia, um, and they would be of an age that knows Tim. Um, he probably has great social stats. He probably he would have been vetted with his you know for and against kind of chart, um, and so there he offers some engagement um, opportunities and some extension opportunities. Um, you and I slightly differ in, in our opinions about this campaign. I think the camp- competition is brilliant. I actually don't know if the ambassadorship was necessary. What I love about the competition is that it brings back that essence of that genie from the early 1990s where, you know, I want a packet of Tim Tams that never runs out. I don't know if they needed a face to to implement that. Um, but, yeah. So um, I think they did. I think it was very clever because obviously it's Tim Tams and his name is Tim and he was wearing the genie vest but he wasn't wearing anything else. And as you said, he obviously appeals to this target audience um, who are, you know, 
women and mums and he's just had a baby and he's a family man but he's also a a bit of a hunk Um, and so it ticked a lot of boxes but at the same time that Arnott's Tim Tams were running this campaign with Tim um, Cadbury were running a golden ticket promotion and they didn't have Tim and it was you know stark the difference and at that sort of point of purchase that you talk about right at the front of the store I was seeing the display and the Tim Tam display was emptying and the Cadbury one was not. Yeah, well, there you go. Proof. Proof yeah. at, your, at your Coles or Woolies. <laughs> Correct. The sample size being one Coles in your castle. <laughs> definitely, definitely not the data that you need to rely on. But, um, anecdotal nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, he was a smart choice. There's, no, If you went down the ambassador route, there's no doubt that he is a smart choice. Um, but doing an ambassador, you know, people are becoming more savvy with ambassadorships. Collaborations, I would argue, are stronger. Um, and it would also have eaten into the profitability that um, that that execution would have delivered and I think that if we go back to the very start of the episode where we talked about the definition of strategy being an informed opinion about how to win what is missing from that definition for me is profitably Um, Mm -hmm. and your listeners would know more than anyone else how many small to medium businesses fail in that first year um, or two and I think that profitably needs to be given more weight which I think is sometimes driven by people jumping into tactics before they've got the strategy first. Oh that's so so good yeah I completely agree that's a really really good point. So tell my listeners what should go into a strategy like what are some of the key components of a marketing strategy? Oh, well, I've mentioned the research phase. And in that, you really need to understand your industry. You need to understand um, your competitors, your audience, um, and not just who they are, but dig deeper into what motivates them, what their attitudes are, how they're using things, what are their pain points. Um, you, You also need to look at your offering in really great detail and compare that to Um, your customers, what you found out about them and the competitors and see if there's something that you do better than anyone else that actually makes a difference to your customers. Um, That's a big chunk of work. You know, if you go further, you can then go into the financial implications and all of the the location-based stuff. And if you're e-commerce versus bricks and mortar, you need to look at that and the logistical side of things. But, you know, I would start with understanding your customer and your market and then your product. Totally. I hear a lot of small business owners say, oh, just don't worry about what your competitors are do. You do you, boo. And I I really want to jump up and say, no, hang on. <laughs> Please hang on. We need to know what our competitors are doing. We need to understand the market that we operate in and we need to understand what our point of difference is in relation to our competitors. So sure, you don't need to be obsessed with them and, you know, follow their every move, but you need to understand what makes them special and therefore what makes you special, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's about knowing but not dwelling on what your customers do. You can't change what they're doing. You can only change 
what you're doing and, and adapt to that. But by looking at what they're doing and keeping a decent eye on any changes or shifts, you also can unlock some opportunities and some points of difference. Um, you know, for me right now, I'm I'm going undercover and doing heaps of school tours and, and virtual open days of the schools in my area. Um, and, you know, schools are not necessarily the most differentiated um, it's not the most differentiated category, um, but there's been a lot of little aha moments and I'm like, ah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you're really focusing on that. Maybe we shouldn't because you're delivering it better than we ever could. So we'll focus over here where we've got a competitive advantage and that starts to split where your customers may be interested in. Damn right. The other thing that I think is really important to include in your marketing strategy is to quantify your audience because there's a lot of talk about niching and you know like you know not being all things to all people which is absolutely right but I think we can niche too far and um, narrow our audience so much that it's basically non-existent it is so 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 defined that there's actually not enough customers um, for you to to create a profitable business. Yeah, I agree with you. I've seen a, a number of customers go really, really laser focused into who who that absolute pinpoint customer can be. Um, I would encourage the people who are going too far to, and, and not seeing success to take a little step back and see how can they broaden their um their customer definition and appeal to people without casting the net too wide. Um, look, this isn't a great example, but it's one that comes to mind and it's Airbnb. You know, they're huge, right? They don't have a niche, niche audience, but they also um, have ways and tactics and strategies, and I use those words together in this instance, to appeal to different their different audience segments. Um, and segmentation is a really interesting tool and, and can be part of your strategy. Um, in the, in Airbnb's most recent campaign, you saw them launch a suite of videos. One was all about, you know, your, your bromance boys going on a holiday with five lads. One was about a mum and daughter taking a trip to the beach. One was about a family trip. So they've been able to um, keep their brand message and their promise consistent, but tap into the different insights um, to to different people. Um, and I guess what they all have in common are people who are looking for a getaway or a break. Exactly. So I think what you're saying is that while it's really important to have a very well-defined you know, customer segmentation about who is your heartland or your ideal customer, um, you also need to make sure that there is broader reach than just them. You can start with them, but have the ability to build out. Whereas if you are, um, what's an example? If you are creating a um, online course just for um, service-based businesses in the accounting industry who are women and who have executive level qualifications, like that's great. That's really well defined, but you need to go out there and quantify that that is a yeah. substantial enough audience to be able to, to service them long-term and to be able to offer this course 
you know, for years to come. Otherwise, you're going to come up against the fact that you've actually tapped out that audience, right? Mm, 100%. You've said that much more succinctly than I did. (laughs) Not at all. Okay, so let's talk about short-term versus long-term because as marketers, we must balance this need for short-term sales so that we mm. can keep the lights on mm. and also in a, in a corporate environment to meet our budgets and keep our bosses happy. However, we must balance that with long-term brand building where the results don't appear on the balance sheet next month. They can appear you know, years down the track. And this is really, I guess, probably the biggest challenge for marketers is how do you make sure that you meet your budgets, but also build really sustainable long-term brands like Barbie, um, like Maybelline. Um, So I'd love for you to talk to us about that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I've got a lot to say about this. Um, All right. So do you buy Bonds products, Mia? Of course. Do you buy Bonds products at full price? Never. Never. And why is that? Is that because they're at 40% off probably every second month? That's the same with witchery. I can't shop there anymore because it's always on 20% and I keep going in there and buying it at full price and then it goes on special and then I'm done. I'm just done with it for good. Yeah. Look, it's it's a danger to chase those short-term tactical sales you know it started with a 140 percent off event years and years ago and essentially um you know bonds maybe had a stronger sales manager than a a marketing manager at the time and that 40 percent off has grown into a twice a year event to a three times a year event to a six times a year event and you're essentially eroding your branding and and they really in my opinion have to cut it off to be able to build up any long-term brand equity um, again. And that will be a big hit and it's a hit that the business probably won't want. Um, And it's something that I had to really fight hard about when I was um, the senior marketing manager at Mattel um, with one of my brands being Barbie. I was there in a really difficult time, frozen launched, and all of a sudden (laughs) every little girl wanted an Elsa doll, not a Barbie doll. Um, And so there was a lot of late nights, a lot of conference calls, a lot of analysis in how do we get those immediate sales? How do we get people to to choose Barbie instead of Elsa at this particular time frame without going down the 20%, 40%, buy one, get one free tactical element? And we did a little bit of that, but only to an extent, and that was really to make sure our logistical our, our stock on hand, our stock in store wasn't building up and becoming a logistical nightmare um, and also to hit some sales and market share targets. But my marketing team at the same time was focused in on what's important for um, mums and daughters, what's important in play, how does Barbie differ, um, what's Barbie's point of um point of opportunity for the future and it ended up being that we honed in on what Frozen and, and Disney couldn't be. Disney are great at those stories and those um, the retelling of the movie, but Barbie allowed you to be um, open-ended in your play and reflects the culture of today. And so the long-term play was to focus in on 
Barbie reflecting culture and you saw dolls that were ethnically diverse. Um, you saw the introduction of wheelchair dolls um, and you saw a lot of positive PR, which wasn't part of Barbie's DNA really. Barbie gets a, a lot of, uh, cops a lot of flack in the media um, generally because people are pro or anti-Barbie. But all of a sudden, Barbie's tackling a bigger purpose as part of the long-term brand play that meant that we didn't have to play in those 40% off battles all the time. So, yeah, short-term, long-term is critical. You can't fall down the short-term track. That is such great insight. And so you really repositioned Barbie, right, from being, you know, the unachievable stereotype and the you know the big boobs and the small waist and the 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 hair and the makeup to making her much more inclusive and that is going to set the Barbie brand up for long-term success and really with those price promotions I think what you're saying is that you want to do it enough so that you can make sure that everyone's happy but not enough that customers get used to it and and rely on it and come to expect it because then they'll never pay full price again. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um, I would love to hear from you um, what big brands do. And obviously I've worked for some of them, but um, you've been in corporate for a, a lot longer than me. How do big brands go about marketing strategies and tactics? What does this actually look like behind the scenes? Um, because most of my audience are, are startup founders and small business owners and are usually a marketing team of one. So what can our smaller brands learn from some of the bigger brands? Uh, yeah, I think it's not your your customers and small business have a disadvantage in that they don't have the resources around them to be able to down tools and focus for a two to four week period on, you know, analysing your past and preparing for the future. Um, I think, though, that what small businesses, what I see small businesses doing more and more frequently is... Um, borrowing I'm going to say borrowing stealing is another word <laughs> ideas from other areas you know if I see another pointing TikTok or reel <laughs> I will scream like just don't do it um so what's the lesson big brands are consistent and they don't get distracted by shiny new things they also really um have a clear vision for their brand and a clear understanding of their brand and they don't sway from that too often. So if that's something that I think that any business can do and doesn't take time, it just means that you sometimes have to say no to mm -hmm. something that might excite you. Um, I would also say that, I mean, they say that to you have to hear or see things 30 times to be able to digest it. And I think the consistency of big business and also the understanding of this means that um, that drives some of big, big business success. And I see small businesses, because you are invested in it, you are receiving it, hearing it, seeing it all the time, you probably are too quick to move on from the message because you would feel quite rightly that it's old and oversaid and overdone. I mean, 
you are not allowed to move off this anti-gurus campaign <laughs> for at least another six months because you might be sick of it, but your audience won't be. Um, so, yeah, be consistent. Have that plan. Don't get distracted. And if you can, you know, dedicate a couple of hours a few times a week over the period of a month, get the, the core of your strategy down pat. Totally. And you're so right. Like, so gurus, great example. I mean, the video has been watched 60,000 times and I've received, you know, countless messages, but it is only 60,000 times. There are so many more people in the world who've never seen it before. And even to this day, like today, someone contacted me saying, I've just seen your video for the first time and it's great. I'm like, cool. Like I've been eating and breathing and sleeping this for the last four weeks, but every day someone new is going to see it for the first time. So we as brand custodians tire of an idea well before our audience have probably even seen it for the first time. So that's a really interesting point around 30. Traditionally, it was that rule of seven, but... Mm, no, no, it's, it's up. Because there's so much, like social media changed the game on that, didn't it? Yeah. You know, traditionally, it was seven because that's sort of proportionate to the messages you're seeing. 30 now because you can't even scroll down any of your social media feeds without being bombarded anymore. Totally. And then... Um, Oh my gosh, the dancing and pointing reels. Don't even get me started. So what's the issue with it? Like let's 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 talk about what I mean, apart from the fact that it's, you know, it, it's annoying and um it's just that it's not going to lead anywhere. I have this skill, Lauren, where I can look at a social media post or a video and I can go, oh holy moly, that's going nowhere. That is that's leading absolutely nowhere. There is no call to action. It's not prompting me to save it so that I can keep this brand top of mind. It's not prompting me to click on any links so that I can go to their website. It's not prompting me to download anything. This is honestly content for the sake of content. And it breaks my marketing heart that I saw someone say in a Facebook group a few weeks ago that they spent seven hours creating an Instagram reel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think that every social media post has to have a call to action or a click. You know, there are legitimate brand building elements of social media. There are legitimate education or information or of interest piece. My issue with Instagram Reels is that it's none of what you were saying it is, but it's none of the other either. It's not entertaining. It's really, <laughs> it's not, you know, informative necessarily. Like, did, And it's just... It's just maybe the first couple were great and entertaining, but now you're the laggard and um, let's just not copy for the, for the sake of copying. That's a tactic where someone's gone, oh, we can do this, brainstorm a good idea, but without sense checking, does it have a purpose? Exactly. And um, it might have worked for the first hundred people that did it, but now it's it's actually content that you are going to scroll past. But this example, the Instagram reel with the lip syncing to the same track, um, you know, to the same uh, dance routine and the same three concise little tips that they point to actually really illustrates this entire conversation around strategy and tactics because it is so tactical, but there is no strategy that's informed it, which is like, what did you want 
to achieve from this video. And I I completely agree with you that, you know, a lot of my content is is just about relationship building and affinity, but that in itself is an objective. That is leading somewhere. That's leading to people saying, hey, Mia, she's a pretty cool chick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that I guess is my point that not everything has to have a call to action, but everything should have a purpose. Purpose. Totally. Um, And yeah, look, if you're anything like me, it's exciting and fun to do brainstorms and to jump to the tactics, but you really have to sense check yourself because it can be lazy. It can be unoriginal. It can be damaging long-term. That said, I mean, I live as a marketer with a rule of thumb that you have to add value to your customer before you extract value. Um, And that's where the purpose helps guide you. Um, Now, having said all of that, if you do have a tactical idea, especially as a small business owner, that makes sense, that has purpose, don't sit on it because you don't have a 20-page strategy that's giving you permission. You know, if you've ticked your boxes in terms of gut feel, makes sense for my brand, makes sense for the customer, is aligned to some sort of objective, there's also plenty of examples how jumping into tactics with speed can help you win. Um, I would say strategy wins out more than jumping into tactics, but I also don't want to have this message that you know, people listening need to have a 20-page document before they do anything. Totally. That is such great advice. Likewise, though, if you have gone and spent some time doing a simple strategy that covers what you mentioned earlier, which is just who are your people and how are we going to reach them and what are your competitors doing and let's do some research, then you can evaluate all the different ideas and tactics that you have based on that as your guiding beacon. So then you can just go, okay, I've just had this wild idea. Um, Before I jump two feet into it, let me just open up that document or that roadmap that you were talking about. And let's just make sure that that this appeals to my audience um, before I get too excited about ideas because definitely as small business owners we can get that shiny object syndrome I should totally be on TikTok I should absolutely be doing this I should absolutely be doing that does that make sense for your brand I think is the real thing yeah and especially if you as a small business owner aren't of a similar ilk to your target customer I think Mia you're a great example of a business owner that Your customers actually have that similar ambition, have um, a similar desire for growth and to do something differently. But there's many examples of small business owners who live and breathe a completely different world. And so your sense check is not their sense check. Exactly. Like you are not always your customer. And that's (laughs) really, really important. And I think that's another thing that I would say that big business, gosh, I'm struggling with that word tonight, Big business does better because there are more people involved in putting together strategies and the implementation plan. Sure. I just want to say that there are some benefits having been on both sides. So I spent 10 years in corporate for really, really big brands like Maybelline and Kraft and Bic. And I've now spent 10 years as, you know, a small business owner and there are some real advantages for for small businesses that I don't feel that they're canna- they're capitalizing on enough. Yeah. So, um, 
when we worked at Maybelline, we spent around what four to six hours a day in meetings. Oh yeah, there's plenty that that small businesses have the one up on big business, and speed and agility is one of those things you know you don't have too many cooks in the kitchen so while I said it was an advantage for big business before that's more in the planning and strategy stage in the implementation stage small business have so many less cooks in the kitchen they they don't have the red tape the multiple approval layers Mm. you can you can you know do something immediately um you also don't have as many resources to use. So you have an advantage in terms of prioritising. You know, Mia, you and I have both managed marketing budgets of 30 plus million dollars. Um, you know, I now have a, a budget of a few hundred thousand. You have less, like much <laughs> less than that. Um, and look, my budget is still significant, don't get me wrong, because it's, it's still a significant sized business. But my budget's effectiveness is far better right now than it was when I had those $30 million because when you have less to work with, you make sure that you are smarter with it, you prioritise harder, you scrutinise it harder. Um, and I think small big businesses um, can really bat above their average when when they prioritise budget well. And I totally. think the, the last advantage is authenticity. As small businesses, yeah. you have the one up on small on authenticity, and especially in a world where people are much savvier than they were, you know, back in the madman heyday. Um, so you've got the advantage there of being authentic and not having that agenda so obvious. Totally. So you can be scrappier, you can take much more creative risks and you give a shit more because this is your brand, your livelihood, your lifestyle that is all wrapped up in the success of your business as opposed to getting up and going to work every day and marketing somebody else's brand and they just so happen to be the biggest cosmetics brand in the world. So whatever. (laughs) amazing it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today lauren any final takeaways or thoughts for our small business champions um all right i'll leave you with one thing mia what is my favorite saying when it comes to strategies oh i quote this all the time (laughs) strategy is about choices that's it that's it so hopefully you'll make more good choices than bad good luck (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not press that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? You can also connect with me, Mia Feilman, on Instagram or LinkedIn, and feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.